My guest today is Brian McCullough. He's the host of the daily tech news podcast, Tech Meme Ride Home, as well as the Internet History Podcast. He's the founder of several internet companies and is here today to discuss his recent book, How the Internet Happened, From Netscape to the iPhone. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm delighted to have you on. And before we get to, from, to Netscape to the iPhone, I think people are still confused about how the internet happened before Netscape. <laughs> there, there still seems to be an ongoing debate of how we got to, uh, to, to browsers and eventually to iPhone, to social media. So can you just, in, in, a, in a fairly brief, can you summarize how the internet happened originally and who, who gets the credit? There's always, again, this sort of on, ongoing debate tends to get politicized about how the internet was initially uh, created. So the, the, we'll, the, we'll have you we'll have you tell me tell us. Yeah, I mean, so the pre uh, you know web internet, um, it, the the Sputnik thing happened. Uh, government wanted to throw a lot of money at science, um, and so in some corner of academia, there were a bunch of people that were like, "Give us money to connect computers together." My theory is is that they sold it to the generals saying that it would be something that you could use in an, the event of a nuclear war. But the actual reality of it is is that um, you know the internet it, it's going to be 50 years this year. Uh, got the proto internet got started in 1969, um, but for about 30 years um, it was sort of left to its own devices. So while yes, the debate is well, did the, did government create the internet or whatever? The truth is is that the internet sort of uh, evolved via benign neglect of some of these people in academia, in research, in science, some in government, some in military or whatever. But because it was sort of like a, this sort of redheaded stepchild that no one was really paying attention to, it was able to develop sort of on its own with, with no master, no one guiding uh, what happened, uh, no rules, except for the fact that for a long time you couldn't do commerce on the internet. That changed in the early 90s. Uh, and then uh, Tim Berners-Lee came along, created the World Wide Web, and in the, the analogy I make is that in the way that the graphical user interface made computers uh, comfortable for mainstream users, the web made the internet comfortable for mainstream users as well. Right. So, I mean, what I think is interesting about that, because as you sort of you know hinted, uh, there's this debate whether this was a Defense Department thing or and what role did the private sector play? I think there's a good. I think on every sort of internet anniversary, I think the Wall Street Journal has an editorial uh, talking about the, the the role of the private sector. But I, what I think is more interesting is just what you just said that there that it wasn't a master plan. That whether the the key players the exact opposite worked. You know, <laughs> right? That it was still, it, it, something can be it can involve government and and universities uh, and still be kind of an organic bottom up thing. Uh, which is exactly as you said, which is what this was, right? There wasn't, there wasn't a, there wasn't a blueprint, and sort of, and sort of yet uh, it happened. And uh, other countries did try to take a more, more sort of uh, right. top down. France, 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 France is the one I, I, yeah. I always like to. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll go to the uh, the uh, Wikipedia. Was it Minitel? Was that the the yep, terminal? Yep. Yeah, there's like a terminal based uh, kind of proto internet system. Right, and then there was also one in Britain. There was a. Uh, uh, 
teletext and all sorts of other things. So like the BBC was involved in Britain with trying to create a similar system. Um, but yeah, so look, there, it's undeniable that government money was involved to help get this thing going and uh, military money as well. But this is the point is that nerds were left alone for 30 years. No one told anyone to invent email. People just thought it was a good idea. Um, the, the, the TCP IP standard that runs the internet today won out not because by fiat, because someone de- decreed that it would have it would be the standard that would win out. It was the standard that won out just because that's what everyone adopted. Um, so right, it, it was the, the beautiful thing about the internet is that no one was paying attention, and so it developed on its own um, for 30 years before uh, then it became commercialized and became popular. It's sort of like when when you're favorite band gets gets popular or something and and everyone knows about it right and so you uh you sort of pick up your story as sort of the key uh inflection point when computers went from i i I always remember i think the first real uh uh, pc i saw i'm you know probably a little bit older than you uh was in college late 80s uh, I had a girlfriend. She had she had a she had a beautiful uh, uh, a beautiful PC, and all I remember her doing was typing papers and playing some sort of you know text based Dungeons and Dragons game. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. you know that it didn't seem super useful. I mean, c- certainly better than a uh, you know an IBM Selectric uh, 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 typewriter, uh, but it didn't seem like this was going to be an, a thing that would like revolutionize uh, society from my sort of limited perspective. Uh, but then sort of the Internet happens and you pick up the story with 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 Netscape and why that was so important. To yeah. And I, and I point. The, the point of the book is that it's I pick up the story where the Internet goes mainstream, enters all of our lives. What's been more transformative to all of our lives, every nook and cranny of, of modern life, the Internet and technology is there. So I wanted to tell the story of these people and these companies that 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 brought this into all of our lives. And yes, the, my, my base thesis is that, as you're describing, computers had been around for a long time. Um, they had obviously entered offices and schools and things like that. But I don't think that even um, computers in American homes reached 50% penetration until after the year 2000. The internet is the thing that gives people like my mom a reason to to you know with the phone in her pocket she uses multiple times a day she had a computer for years but never used it so it's it's the web and um, the internet going mainstream that it, it, that is what mainstream mainstreams computing for for everyone and I start with Netscape because if you're old enough to remember it um, Netscape's IPO was sort of the big bang for the modern era that we live in today, where you know eight of the uh, ten most pop, most uh, valuable companies in the world are tech companies that were used to the idea of of twenty uh, year olds coding up billion dollar companies in their dorm rooms. Before Netscape, the first dot com company, before you know, I, I'm a I'm a child of the '80s. Entrepreneurialism. Rock stars were rock stars in the 80s. If you wanted to make a lot of money, you went to Wall Street. This idea that today we live in an era where the rock stars are entrepreneurs, uh, I argue that begins with Netscape and and with the the modern technology era. Right. So you had a you had um, somebody uh, young getting rich uh, with a technology company um, that that had that had no profits. So that, right. that, 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 right. So that, I mean, but, I mean, before with technology companies, you tend to really think of them more as, you know, I, I, when Apple went public, it was, it was making money, I would guess. Right. It was. And, you know, that, that's famously one of those, uh, you know, it made, it made Forrest Gump rich, if you'll recall. Right. Um, 
But right. So that's the other thing is um, Netscape. Uh, Netscape, we should explain, was the the first uh, company to create a, a popular web browser. So it's sort of like bridging two eras. It's a software product that that moves us into this sort of internet uh, product era. Um, but right, they um, they also created the concept of internet speed, where it's you have a good idea. You throw your product up on the internet. You don't have to shrink wrap it and put it into boxes. Right. You can iterate on the product on a weekly cycle, not a a quarterly or yearly cycle. Like it, you can you can throw up version 2.0 based on user feedback in a matter of weeks, and also uh, get big fast, um, scale up to ubiquity. Th- these are concepts that Netscape also introduced into our our common parlance. Um, they go public uh, after only 16, I think, no, 18 months of existence. They have uh, zero profits. I think it was only $18 million in revenue. And again, we're used to that today. But, you know, when, when they IPO'd in, in 1995, the, the famous joke was that since that was the day that Jerry Garcia also died, uh, people said that the reason he died is because he heard Netscape opened at what? So. <laughs> Right, right. But at the time, I mean, obviously, people thought, "Wow, you know, this is a um, this is a super exciting idea. Uh, we can make a lot of money." But at the time, did people realize that the, that we they were you were seeing sort of the beginning of an internet economy, and and oh, they, no. and, and a different way of how companies sort of entered the market and got big, and there was a whole different business model that we were going to see going forward. Well, some pe- some people were smart enough to see that. I think that um, the investor interest in in Netscape at its IPO in 1995 was basically um, everyone remembered uh, missing out on on Microsoft's IPO in 1986, right. um, and so they thought that this was another platform play that uh, that that basically um, uh, the web browser was going to become a platform like Windows was, and so at least initially everyone thought that that um, Netscape would be the new uh, Microsoft. Which is ironic, considering that it was Microsoft in theory that, uh, depending on who you believe, killed uh, Netscape's uh, prospects. But uh, I would say that it is the follow-up people. It is the Yahoo's, the Ebay's, um, even all of those dot-com companies that ended up um, failing ignominiously. They were the ones that – because, again, you could make the argument that, that Netscape was only ever a software company. So the, that there's a different thing between being a software company and being a Yahoo where our, our business can't exist if online doesn't exist. There's right. a difference between that and eBay, which our business our, – our only business is what our users do on our platform, much less, you know, software that you code up and, and sell to people. Right. And uh, sorry, so then we so uh, we're in the 1990s and then we have uh, a bunch of other companies uh, coming into play. And we have, again, companies whose business you know does not exist uh, without the Internet, without browsers. We have the Internet companies and we have this uh, we have this boom. Um, how does that boom to you seem different than sort of what we saw in the 2000s, sort of more with the rise, um, even though some of them began still in the 1990s, whether it's Facebook uh, or Google or Uber or Lyft, that, that sort of the second internet boom. What are the differences or similarities? Well, actually, first of all, I, I argue strenuously in the book that, that the dot-com bubble is probably never going to be replicated because there were historical um, factors involved there. The baby boomers um, investing their money at their uh, prime earnings uh, years. Um, it was a tail end of that that long uh, uh, stock market 
boom that that really, despite the '87 crash, began in in uh, 1982 and lasted all the way through the bubble bursting in 2000. So. Uh, there, there are structural reasons why that was unique. There was a ton of money coming into Wall Street that had to have somewhere to go. There's a, a quote in the book from a Barron's journalist that says, "If you know, it was the froth on the cappuccino. If the dot coms hadn't, someone would have had to invent them if the internet hadn't hadn't come along." But the difference between the 1990s era and the 2000s era is a. In the 90s, people are feeling around the dark and trying to – like, it's it's so rare. Like, when new industries start, you can almost always understand what they're for. When you invent the internal combustion engine, you figure at some point you're going to use it to move people and goods eventually, right? Right. But at the beginning of the, of the modern internet era – People aren't sure what it's for. Are, are we going to do commerce on here? Like, you know, the, the concept of social media and things that, you know, create a Facebook and, and multi-billion dollar companies, it took a while for people to intuit what that was and if there was a business there. So, A, in the 90s, it's a bunch of inter- entrepreneurs throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. And, right. and a lot of it didn't stick, and so that's why you have the, the dot-com flameout. But at the same time... And I make this point multiple times in the book. There's so many stories of technologies and companies and ideas that are good ideas, but they're too soon. And so what really happened in the 2000s is, you know, you have the dot-com bubble bursting, but people don't ever stop using the internet. And all these other technologies catch up. You know, in the 1990s, we had cell phones, but we didn't have uh, digital data. You, you you barely had 2G, much less 3G. You didn't have Wi-Fi. You didn't have home broadband. So all of the things that flowered in the so-called Web 2.0 era flowered because technology caught up and it was the right time. You know, they created the Newton, the first handheld computing device in 1992, but it took till till uh, 2007 with the iPhone for all of the technologies to catch up and make mobile computing viable. Um, so a lot of it is there was there was a MySpace competitor. There was a company called MySpace in the dot com era, not the MySpace you're thinking of. It was a company that allowed you to install a little widget on your desktop and you could save your files there. It was cloud computing, mm-hmm. but it couldn't work in 1998 because the infrastructure wasn't there. And so then now we have Dropbox and all these other things and, and AWS. So a lot of it was. It's just it, some things are too soon, and you have to wait for the moment, mm-hmm. even infrastructure-wise, for, for your good ideas to work. Uh, before we leave the uh, 90s boom bubble, what, what are some of your favorite stories from the 1990s of things that just didn't work? And they were never going <laughs> to work, no matter what you had, no, no matter the infrastructure, no matter the bandwidth. Uh, but it was some, some fun examples of, uh, of people throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what was going to stick. Well, it's almost I have to answer the inverse because, you know, one of the biggest flameouts of the dot-com era was a company that was trying to do grocery delivery. And, um, you know, Lewis Borders was the – of the Borders chain was was the um, the founder of this company. And, it, like, through hundreds of billions of dollars, it was a company called Webvan, uh, the idea that I will deliver groceries to your doorstep. Well – couldn't do it. The infrastructure wasn't there in, t- in the 2000s, but now we've got uh, everything from Amazon to Instacart to Uber Eats and things like that. Um, the things that didn't work in the 90s, mo- the things we remember are the pets.com. Well, I mean, right, right. you know? well yeah. so you know what? You know why it didn't work? 
1998 was because, the, you know, things like dog food famously are very heavy and expensive to ship. Uh, and there was, you know, there were there were even furniture startups that were they would it would cost them three hundred dollars to ship a, a chair to your house, which was more than they could even charge for the chair. Well, guess what? All of those sorts of things that seemed impossible problems to solve have eventually been solved. There are companies, Amazon among them, that that make good money now delivering you dog food. There are all sorts of furniture based startups now uh, online um, uh furniture you can customize your couch and they'll ship it to you and what is at least the mattresses and things like that right, and, right, and right. casper mattresses so it's almost the things that didn't work that are funny to think about today are the ones where towards the tail end because venture capitalists couldn't lose for winning because all they had to do was uh accept a business plan put a little money in it into it and 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 float it as an ipo and, and they'd make their money back so they were just they were just making actual crap and, and peddling it on on public markets. And so those are they'll, – they'll always be bad ideas because there was a, a period of time where the filter, uh, the level of quality was so low that it didn't even matter. Um, you, you, you mentioned Netscape, and of course, it's, you, know, you, have to, you have to mention uh, Microsoft. Uh, and it's an issue I've written a little bit about trying to, trying to figure out – sort of the role of Microsoft and USA versus my US versus Microsoft and antitrust and what role that played in uh, the sort of the next internet boom that uh, you didn't have you didn't have this sort of huge monopoly getting to all these other business areas because it was sort of distracted yeah. by its problems with the government uh, what what did you I mean that's sort of a story I hear I'm not hundred percent sure uh, I believe that but w- what do you think was sort of the the broader economic impact yeah, of, the, of that? I actually have a, a really strong theory about this, and and I, I discussed this with um, Chris Dixon of Andreessen Horowitz on on, mm-hmm. on their podcast not too long ago. Microsoft, the fact that you had this universe of Google, Facebook, almost all of the com- even Amazon. Um, you know, there was a time when, it, post uh, the bubble bursting, that Amazon was a $5 stock, that the only one in tech left standing was a Microsoft, and, and they could have, you know, swooped up and, and, and eaten everybody, a Google and Amazon. They could all be under the, the Microsoft umbrella today on the cheap. They could have gotten them cheaply. The reason that we had the flowering of the companies that we have now, including Facebook, Google, Amazon, um, anyone else you want to name, I actually think is because Microsoft knew it had to sit on its hands. Now, there's other strategic reasons. You know, the Balmer era, they they sort of lost their way a bit. They had a decade in the wilderness. But I think that it is a problem. Problem is too strong a word, perhaps. But you have... The, the 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 so-called fang companies and you know maybe you uh but but there's 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 five or six large tech companies now and anytime someone has a good idea that that achieves any kind of scale they can be bought up and they're just added as another feature or another uh tool in the tool belt of one of these five or six large companies and, and i'm going to give you a, a recent example as recent as last week is eero being bought by amazon right Mm-hmm. So Amazon, so Eero is this interesting hardware maker that creates uh, 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 home Wi-Fi devices, essentially your your home internet router. It does it better than anyone has ever done it. Uh, and Amazon scoops it up, and no one thinks twice about it. But 
you should think twice about it in the sense that what is everybody going – what is the most valuable thing in the world, more valuable than oil now? It's data. And so that's a huge the, – the idea that Amazon – now they swear they're not going to do it, but they would have the ability to look at everything that you're doing inside your home uh, on the internet. So there, there's. So you, there's, do you think these companies? Are there, I mean, I was sort of going to get into this later, but since you just brought it up, so mm-hmm. do you think that today's sort of big successful technology companies are are hurting innovation? Oh, that's okay. Yes, I got a little distracted with the Euro example, but that's my point. Yeah. Is that. Google would have been swallowed up the first time people got a, hif, a, a, a sniff that they were making $100 million. You know, Google is making $100 billion a year now. So the fact that um, there are there's this group of big companies that can swoop in and Borg-like take over, yes, 100%, I fear for the fact that as soon as the good idea happens, it becomes just another feature of these larger platforms, and it doesn't allow those companies to become to to go through the growing pains and become maybe what they're what they're true what they truly should become. Google was just this thing that 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 solved search on the internet and then had the good idea of of creating search advertising to monetize it. But now it's this multi pronged company that is maybe going to do self driving cars and 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 uh, you know it creates your Android phone and all these things. And so I I fear for the fact. That that we're in a world where the truly innovative companies do not get to have the life cycle that would maybe allow them to find what they're truly meant to mm-hmm. be—the innovation, the ultimate mature innovation that they could probably right. achieve because they're kneecapped right at the beginning. But I mean, um, I understand why that's the case for them. But as should I care about that? I mean, if if mm-hmm. Google is gonna if Google uh, buys a bunch of companies and and is co- and it's constantly sort of going into new areas, you know, such as autonomous vehicles, you know, I, I, mean, care. That, I mean, that's that's I mean that's that's also a good thing. They have the money to spend on it, and and do I care if it's not some little independent autonomous car company, but rather it's Google spending a ton of money uh, on autonomous vehicles? They, I guess they. When I think of monopoly, I don't think of a company spending lots and lots on R and D and going into new areas that it's never gone into before. Yeah, but I would argue that the 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 true um, innovation happens when you have to struggle. Listen, I come from the tech industry. I'm an entrepreneur myself. Like the, if you have a good idea, that's great. But then you also have to find out if you have a good business, right? So if 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 Every time someone comes up with what what uh, Steve Jobs would have called, well, that's a feature, not a company. So if if all of these companies get cut off in their life cycle when they've just proven that they have a good feature, that means that they haven't had the ability to mature into good companies. And so the you know one of the perfect examples I would say is look at how successful Instagram has become. And Instagram was bought by Facebook when it was only a billion dollars in size, and that seemed insane at the time. As an independent company, Instagram would be worth at least three hundred billion dollars on public markets. So, what do you if, think? Would, do you think it would have been as successful without? I mean, well, did, did, did Facebook bring anything to the table other than purchasing it to help it grow? I think or? that Facebook has, at least to this point in Instagram's life, allowed it to operate as independently as possible to continue to be that successful. But that's my point, is that so Instagram, had it remained independent, it would have had to find its way as a business. It would have had to find how to be worth that $300 billion. And I'm saying 
and as someone in the internet industry, that to me, I'm not saying that no companies can do acquisitions and things like that. And and lots of times acquisitions are healthy and work out. I just worry, especially over the last three to five years, that it's super, super hard for those companies to even survive to get to that independence to become. What if there were a super strong competitor in social media right now, in the form of Instagram, to Facebook. We had one that tried to do it with Snapchat, and it's struggling. Um, so I don't know. I just, as as someone from Silicon Valley that believes in innovation, um, I, I, I worry that the ecosystem is a little unhealthy right now because these companies just can just keep getting swallowed up. Right. Um, uh, we were talking about. Well, I th- let me just say I th- I'm. I'm I'm less I'm less worried, maybe far less worried uh, than you are. Uh, but I think at least once a week, I'm maybe as worried as you are. So I I I, I hear I, I'm certainly hearing that's your fair. Argument. That's fair, and uh, I'm not <laughs> I'm not sort of this like we need we need stronger antitrust sort of thing with people. But I I do worry about it from a market perspective. You know, right? I agree. Um, uh, we you mentioned Google, and I uh, I had I'd gone on Twitter uh, before our podcast and asked. Um, People had questions they'd like me to ask you. One one that I thought was interesting is, what does the internet look like without Google? Is, <laughs> is it even a, is it even a functional or is it just a big mess? If you, if as the, I think there was a magazine cover, the uh, I think it was Business Week, the search engine wars are over and Yahoo has won. If Yahoo had really won, what does the internet look like today? Yeah, well the. Um that's a that's a lesson that everyone should take is that when 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 Google got started, there were eight to ten big search engines, and who needed another search engine? Well, it turned out there was always room for another search engine if you did it well if you if you actually did it better than everyone else um yeah if 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 Google hadn't solved search, I have said many times i wonder. I wonder how the 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 current internet would even function. I mean, clearly, no one was going to stop using the internet, uh, so something w- would have evolved. And and actually, because I, I saw that question on Twitter, also on Twitter also, but I think that social would have been the thing that may have evolved because if you think about this, is how you discover things. What 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 solving search does is it solves discovery problem on the internet. And so how how often now do you discover a new article or a new idea or a news item from Twitter, from Facebook or whatever? So in some sense, social is also has also evolved to solve that problem. But at the same time, man, if you couldn't, you know, uh, where was Tom Petty born? Oh, I'll Google it. Oh, Gainesville, Florida. Like if you couldn't do that, <laughs> I don't I really don't know where we would be. Like I said, we would have we would have evolved how we use the Internet differently. But but thank God uh, Google did crack that nut. All right. Um, this book, um, to me, is uh, it's it's a it's it's a great story. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great, super interesting book. But the story it tells is a great story, and I certainly like the world the way it is today. I mean, I, I'll ask how far back. This is a question I'll ask sometimes: How far back in time would you be willing to live? You know, five mm. years, ten mm. years. Boy, I you know. <laughs> I sort of can't imagine wanting to live in like a pre-internet world. But when is the last time I heard a good story about anything involving the internet? It's all privacy and uh, mm. there's bias and interfering with uh, elections and all the economic disruption or inequality. Um, as you've sort of gone on this book tour, how many of the questions have been sort of yeah. negative questions and no, like, a lot. how it happened? What, you know, should it have happened? 
a, a, a lot, and I've had to deal with that because I, I didn't set out to do this. Like, you know, I started writing this book six years ago, uh, and so at the beginning, people would say, oh, you're writing a book about the history of the internet. Yeah, I'd like to know how I got a supercomputer in my pocket. And then in the last 18 months or so, it becomes, oh, you, you uh, wrote a book on the internet. Uh, you're going to explain how it ruined our lives. Right. I didn't – I this is – I set out to tell the story essentially of my career. Like uh, this is all the only industry I've been in my whole career. I, I just wanted to, I thought there was value in saying, here's how we A to B to C led to D. Right. And I thought that that was valuable to people because it has been so transformative uh, to all of our lives. And, and here, here are the people that did it. Here are the decisions they made and why they made those decisions. Now, the fact that, Apparently, it, it, people now want to hear the the mistakes and 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 the and and how everything went bad. I just accidentally I'm not telling that story because I was just trying to give us all the background. Um, so we ended we ended with the, the launch of the iPhone not because oh I'm going to end right at the <laughs> right when everyone all turns right 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 when everyone still loved technology. It was more that. If you if you take us up to the mo- to get to the modern era, you have to explain everything up to mobile and social. So the last three chapters are Facebook and uh, the the proto um, uh, smartphones, and then the launch of the iPhone. But I I didn't do that for any sort of like uh, rah rah technology's great. Silicon Valley only does good things. It, it's more that's just um, that's what led us here. So if things have turned. In, in last, if people's opinions have turned in the last few years, um, I it's not that I left those stories out. It's that, like, it was all it was all pushing um, us to this brave new world that seemed really really great to a lot of people. And um, so, even if people want to think of it so negatively now, that's not the story that's in the first half of the modern tech era. But do you, but do you think? And again, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of negative questions, but do you think that the average person is as sort of negative as as maybe the average your average questioner or the average activist? I still think more people are sort of like me that like, hey, they they really love that they can find things you know very quickly on Google, and they love you know they love Amazon Prime. Um, and I might not be the biggest Facebook person, but I certainly like going on Twitter. I mean, I mean to me, my experience is positive. I wonder if that's if most people still think that this is a story of something really good happened. And the people you mentioned in this story are sort of the heroes of the internet, not yeah. the villains of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, my personal theory is, is that, uh, you know, look, people in media feel that whether consciously or not, or just subconsciously that the, the internet has sort of uh, disrupted their industry and possibly imperiled their jobs. So maybe there is a certain bias there towards, um, you know, listen, uh, like look at all the negative things they're doing. However, I would say that average people, here's, here's how I think whether average people have, have, have turned their general opinion about technology and about the internet. It has to do with sort of quantity and chaos. I don't know that everybody thinks that the internet is out to to ruin everybody's life and disrupt the economy and disrupt democracy and things like that. But I do think that people are like, oh my God, there's this, it's overwhelming. It's too much. Um, and so I, I 
some of that can be laid at the blame of Silicon Valley, like um, you know the design decisions that that. Uh, Bias going towards scale and more usage is better. So more, 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 more. I do think that on some level, normal people, mainstream people, non-technology people are just like, it's, it's, it's overwhelming to me. However, the counter argument would be this is all still so new and there are so many – society really hasn't – none of us have caught up to how to manage – uh, technology and 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 the internet and stuff in all of our lives, and it's there's a learning curve there. And I'll leave you th- with this real quick. Uh, I interviewed um, uh, Justin Hall, who a lot of people consider to be the first blogger, and he went through this cycle where he lives his whole life online for ten years, and then it gets to be too much, and he leaves the internet entirely. And then he comes back a couple years ago because he'd matured. He learned how to like manage uh, living his life online, and so he's back and like he's he's learned how to to live with the upsides and the downsides. And so I wonder if if people have are feeling negative about it. It's just a matter of time before people learn how to manage it and how to uh, integrate it into their lives in, in ways that feel healthy again. All right. Well, let me ask you this one last question. The title of the book is "How the Internet Happened." Uh, is it still happening? Is, is it or is it done? Oh, no, 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 no. It is not done at all. Um, in a way, the, the, the Internet is is a proxy for um, all technology entering every crevice of our life. The, the idea is that the my mom likes to say the modern Internet era is it's impossible not to know anything by which she means. Right. Where was Tom Petty born in two seconds? Right. You, you can have the answer. Right. Or where 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 is my wife right now? I could open my phone and I could see on a map, you know, what her current location is. But that extends to everything where cars can drive themselves, where if a bridge uh, is about to collapse. There will soon be sensors on it that will alert engineers. So um, the internet is a proxy for it's impossible not to know anything. You are attaching data to everything in the the physical world. All, what all the internet revolution meant was a we connected all of the world's computers together and we uploaded all of human knowledge into it. And then second step was we connected all of the humans on the planet to those computers. That was social media and and uh, mobile computing. And now we're entering a third step where everything is connected from from your refrigerator to your self-driving car to the sensors on the bridge. And so, no, no, no. We're as Jeff Bezos likes to say, we're still in, in day one or day two or whatever. My guest today has been Brian McCullough, author of the new book, How the Internet Happened from Netscape to the iPhone. Brian, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Thank you, sir.